Welcome to Emerge Everywhere. I'm Jennifer Tesher, journalist turned financial health champion. As founder and CEO of the Financial Health Network, I've spent my career connecting forward-thinking leaders to the growing FinHealth movement. Now I'm sharing these conversations with you. Discover how these visionaries are challenging the status quo and improving financial health for their customers, employees, and communities. My guest today, Tom Spann, understands that financially healthy employees are physically healthier, happier, and more productive. While a consultant by training, Tom's life outlook pivoted when he began to understand how individuals were often overwhelmed by their employee benefits. Since then, Tom has become a strong voice for the vulnerable. His company, Brightside, provides a digital financial health platform that meets employees where they're at to guide well-being and reduce financial stress without shame or judgment. Tom, welcome to Emerge Everywhere. Thanks, Jen. It's great to be here. It's an honor. Um, so you're the CEO and co-founder of a startup called Brightside. What is Brightside? Tell us about it. You know, Brightside's a financial care company. Um, we think we're creating a new category centered on the idea that employers are, first of all, uniquely motivated and positioned to improve financial health. We think that uh, the the ROI is huge for employers in improving financial health in terms of lower medical costs, improved productivity, and a big thing we're seeing is reduced turnover today. And so to drive that value for them in financial health, they're also uniquely positioned because they have access to the paycheck. And so when you are when you can offer products where the payments are the first things out of the paycheck, you can offer people products they can't get anywhere else. And you can also just make it easy for employees to do things like save for the next emergency because you know, in a couple clicks, because you have data from the employer, you can open a savings account and start saving from every paycheck. And so, um, you know, as, as we looked at the problem of financial wellness in employers, it just hasn't worked, right? It, it was engaging too few people and it wasn't a product that families living paycheck to paycheck, which, you know, 71% of families are not financially healthy, according to the Financial Health Network. You know they don't want a financial plan. They don't have assets. They don't. They don't even, barely don't even want a budget, right? They they want to know what do I do now? What do I do next? They want real solutions for their problems. How do I keep from being evicted? How do I get out of this mound of credit card debt? Those kinds of things, and and just using behavioral science and making it easy to do the right thing, you can move them forward. So we think of it as, you know, I'm from healthcare and. We had wellness and healthcare. There's wellness companies, right? There's companies that help you with your gym membership and meditating and coaching on certain habits and things, but they're not for sick people, right? You still need doctors and hospitals when you get injured and sick. And so I think the same thing's true in financial health. So we view ourselves as not only financial wellness, but financial urgent care and financial primary care. And, you know, a lot of fintech solutions have emerged over the last 10 years, Um that can be really helpful to people, but they're point solutions. And they're often motivated to uh, just sell more of their solution, right? Because they're making money off, say, a paycheck link loan or earn wage access or any of those things. They're not really, business models aren't aligned to drive financial health. And they're not always holistic, right? The, the right answer for your student loans is different if you've got 30 grand of credit card debt than if you don't. So, 
um, I think it's resonating with employers that rather than implementing these things separately as point solutions for their employees, think of them as treatments, and then we're sitting in there as the primary care and get people to the right options for them at the right time. And so, um, you know, we want to be this place people go first to understand their options for financial products and services. And so we think we're creating a new front door to financial services for employees and families. Well, you know, I love those metaphors uh, back to healthcare. And it's one of the reasons why I've been so um, taken with Brightside and also with you, um, because when we met back in 2019, uh, Brightside had been selected for Financial Health Networks Accelerator. And one of the most interesting elements of the founding story uh, for me starts with your last startup, which was called Accolade. Um, so we'll come back to Brightside for sure. Mm-hmm. But let's talk a little bit about Accolade and what you learned from that experience that led you to dream up Brightside. Yeah, it's funny. I probably resisted the healthcare um, metaphors and analogies a little bit back then, but uh, you did. Uh, inspire me back then to go ahead and, and really understand where the connections were. So um, I co-founded Accolade uh, 15 years ago now with uh, Michael Klein, who was our founding investor, uh, really genius investor, and John Mollins, who was just, <laughs> I was fortunate to have very, two very smart co-founders. Um, John was one of my colleagues at Accenture, and it was a pioneer healthcare navigation company, right, which is now a huge category. But back then, it was really against conventional wisdom. Uh, the idea was to create one place to go, paid for by your employer, for all your healthcare needs. Like it was the place you go first. You've got a benefit question. You want to find a doctor. You're having problems sticking to your treatment plan, whatever all those things were. And probably most fundamentally, we replaced the number on the back of the health insurance card with our number. Um, so instead of getting typical member services of a health plan, you got somebody who really wanted to help you get the right uh, care. And that company changed my perspective. It changed my life. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, I had run healthcare for Accenture for years before that. And um, uh, this was just a, um, I think I had a perspective that these people are just knuckleheads. They're doing the wrong things. They're not, you know, they're not educated um, and certainly health literacy was a problem, just like financial literacy is. Um, but they're actually all really good people trying to do the right thing. And it was just it's just hard to do the right thing, right? I'm reminded of the saying about behavioral economics. Behavioral mm-hmm. economists don't believe people are stupid. They believe the world is hard, right? And um, that's what I learned at Accolade. And it was just, it brought me great satisfaction, joy to sort of see the difference we're making in people's lives. I mean, I took that job for that reason, but uh, the you know the trick of Accolade was not to make it harder to do the wrong thing, which is what health insurance companies have done for years, or even pre-authorizations. It was, try, let's make the right thing easy to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, and it was the genesis of Brightside because one of the, my customers at Accolade, uh, Sean Lavitt, had done a study with Willis Towers Watson that said, Poor financial health was costing him three or four thousand dollars per employee per year. Wow! And, um, he thought it was his idea. Said Tom, I think there's an opportunity for a company like Accolade, except for financial health instead of physical and mental health. Wow, that's incredible. Um, so, of course, my head goes 
to this question, did you ever think about putting the two things together in one? Like instead um, of starting a whole new company called Brightside, you know, creating an arm of accolade uh, that dealt with uh, people's financial issues, given given how much uh, synergy there is, right, between people's the, the financial issues related to health and one's financial issues writ large. So yes, the head of HR, one of my customers once came to me uh, right after the sort of two thousand seven eight market crash and said, you know, I need this kind of support. For my employees, I just watched them sell all their equities at the bottom of the market, and by you know then it come back up. And um, so the, the idea crossed my mind, and, and the question was asked as we were starting, like, why not? And I said, "Why has an athlete done this?" I said, "One was healthcare is hard enough, right? <laughs> it was a really? non-trivial challenge, with, you know, all these different disease states and complexities." And I probably was naive about the business case for employers. I mean, the business case for Accolade and the results were, you know, we were saving people 5 to 15% on their healthcare costs, right? Mm. So that was pretty straightforward. Um, so when this WTW study that Sean did came out, that was compelling on that. And then there's just the notion of, you know, the people and humans that you've got to deal with. It may be a little bit too much health assistant at Accolade was this great big job. Financial assistant at Brightside is this great big job in terms of you've got to help people with such a range of issues. Mm-hmm. Um, combining them in one may be too much. Um, but could you see two companies like that coming together someday and, and there being synergies there? Yeah, you could. Yeah, that's cool. So, you know, when I dreamed up the idea of financial health 10 years ago, a big part of the inspiration for me was thinking about the shift that was taking place in healthcare, this idea that uh, we shouldn't be just treating sickness, we should be promoting wellness, um, and thinking about what that could look like if we applied it to people's financial lives, if we if we applied it to the financial services industry. Like the example I always gave was um, in healthcare, uh, a big challenge is getting people to take their medicine and adherence mm-hmm. to the drug regimen. Um, yeah. You know, what's the what's the meme for that in financial services is probably getting people to save. Right. Getting mm-hmm. put a, people to put aside savings. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and the one place where the analogy always fell short is in healthcare. Obviously, there's a, uh, a third party payer system, at least in this country. And um, in financial services, there is not. And so but if there were uh, the third party payer would be paying banks to keep people from overdrafting. Right, as opposed to rewarding them when the customer yeah. overdrafts. That was always yeah. sort of the best example I could come up with of the sort of lack of alignment. Um, and what if we could align it in the way that healthcare was starting to think about, especially with uh, changes in the way in which uh, insurance companies were starting to reimburse uh, reimburse for outcomes as opposed to treatments. Um, mm-hmm. And so I've heard you frame financial health as a social determinant of health. Um, And we've talked a little bit about these two intersections, but I'd love to hear you talk about how you see these two issues intersecting and why that intersection matters. Okay. It's really interesting to think about the the notion of that third-party payer. Um, Got me thinking about some other things, but let's, let's, uh, we'll save that conversation for later. Just hit the, the simple thing about uh, poor financial health is it makes you sick and it keeps you from getting better. There's a great book called Poverty in the Mists of Healthcare Reform that makes the case that 30% of healthcare costs in this country are driven by 
poor financial health, income inequality, hmm. right? And, and, you know, the American Psychological Association says that 72% of all stress is from finance, right? It's the biggest cause or one of the biggest causes of relationship issues, all these kinds of things. And stress affects every system in your body. There's tons of scientific eff- evidence that it's huge. And it's seven of the top 10 medicines in this country are for stress-related disorders, right? They're also drugs and anxiety and depression meds. Um, you know, it's it's a huge burden. Stress is a huge burden on the healthcare system. And, and um, you know, I had a Steve Clasco, CEO of Jefferson Health, said, you know, everybody's trying to address behavioral health today. All employers are trying to tackle this problem by increasing the supply, often with things that aren't proven to work, right? Mm-hmm. But how do I get more behavioral health service people, which is important, right? Because we have got a behavioral health crisis. But it's like, Tom, Brightside's addressing the demand side of that, trying to lower the demand for behavioral health services and improve behavioral health outcomes that way, which I think is uh, important. And then on the, the, it keeps you from getting better. It's a social determinants of health side, right? Which is 44% of people skip a doctor visit every year in this country, 25% defer a scheduled procedure, right? I mean, Accolade was successful because it made it easy for people to get the right care when they needed it. And uh, 80% of the time, people had what um, Dr. Saul Wiener, University of Chicago, calls a contextual barrier, right? Some mm-hmm. non-clinical reason they're not getting health care. And it could be cultural issues. It could be, you know, they're a busy executive and ton of time. You know, I, I can certainly relate to that. Um, but 70% of the time, it's financial was the barrier we saw. We measured it at Ackley. And... You know, it's a big reason people don't take their meds. It's a big, you know, it's a big, and, and it's not always as clear as um, they can't afford it. It's sort of, they're making trade-offs about where their money goes and how they feel. And, you know, we had ten, people on 10 meds at 30 bucks a month for each one. I mean, it's like, oh, maybe I don't need this one. And they're making their own decisions about which ones to skip and give up and all those kinds of things. So. Um, it's clearly this big issue. And then, you know, and, and if you help people get the right care the first time, what we learned actually is their costs go down, their outcomes go up, right? If you don't go to the doctor when you're sick, if you don't, you know, that, that's not a, that doesn't increase cost, that decreases because it keeps these people out of the hospital and more expensive care. And, you know, and that doesn't even deal with the, the impact of things like food deserts and, you know, the zip code you lives in it is a huge right. term of life expectancy. Mailman did a study at uh, Columbia that said it's the fifth biggest killer in the country is poor financial health, mm. right? 160,000 deaths a year or something like that um, caused by this. So, uh, and then you think about the the health equity issue of that, right? In a world where blacks have 10% of the net worth of whites, you can look at your studies where you show the di- differences in financial health between Latinx, blacks and whites and women and men. Um, those are the people who are suffering, right? Those are the people who are not getting the right health care. And, and, you know, in a world where you're talking about how do I drive health equity in this country, part of it is that let's deal with people's financial health. Yeah. They're so intertwined. Yeah. Well, um, you can tell by how you're able to rattle off so many statistics and studies that um, you started out as a consultant. <laughs> uh, I love yeah. that. It's powerful. And, you know, unlike a lot of today's tech founders, 
you didn't start Accolade in your dorm room. You know, you had been at you had been at Accenture for a long time, uh, focused on healthcare for a very long time. So, how did you get from there to here? Like you've told us a little bit about where the idea came from, I think, for Accolade. But you know, it's one thing to have the idea; it's another thing to decide to be a founder. Yeah. Um, and and where did your interest in these issues come from in the first place? Well, it, you know, it, it was interesting. Like I said, Accolade changed me. I've got an interest in these issues that I didn't have when I started Accolade. I, I started Accolade uh, um, to set a good example for my daughters, to tell you the truth. I mm. had two daughters. They were 12 and 18. And for the first time in my career, I mean, I've been in at Accenture since I got out of college, right? I started out writing code. But it was really, you know, I could run bigger chunks of Accenture with sort of one career path option mm-hmm. for me, I think. But I saw this opportunity. Um, you know, Michael Klein really had thought of the idea for Accolade again. And, um, uh, you know, what, what I want my daughters to do if they were in the situations was like, I want them to do something, make more of a difference in the world that would be more challenging and more growth. I'd never been a CEO before. It was a lot of those kinds of reasons. Yeah. Um, and it was sort of like, you know, it's kind of a cockamamie idea. I don't know if it'll work, but let's give it a shot. And, um, I remember three years later, I go to the board and I'm like, this works. If this, if this company's not successful, it's on me at this point. Um, I probably still feel that way about that company. But it was, uh, but once I got there and saw the struggles of good people, good working people trying to get by in a hard, complex world. And, you know, I became really interested in these issues. And when Sean presented me with the idea of tackling it in the, and the reason the business case to tackle it in the yeah. financial world. Um, it's another really complex system and nobody's on the side of these families. I mean, there's a lot of virtue signalers in financial health, but they mm-hmm. are making their money off of other things and they're punishing these people for their mistakes. And, you know, things are getting a little better with things like overdraft fees and things like that. Mm-hmm. I hope mm-hmm. the work you do and others is going to continue that momentum, but, Something needs to be on these people's side in a holistic way. And that's why we've got Brightside. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more now about Brightside. Tell us a little bit more about the typical user of the platform and a little bit more about like, what's the experience they have? How does it work for them? Yeah. So we think of, of Brightside as having three major components, at least as the, as the user, the employee, or one of their family members thinks about it. Um, one is this role of a financial assistant, a human who can be this empathy layer and can extract these life context issues, right? An app is not going to have a drop down for um, my mom stole my car, so now I lost my Uber Eats job. And, you know, or this, you know, stories I've heard yesterday, my, you know, I don't hate to beat up parents, but a lot of these people are in communities and families that their family is a drain on them, right? And there's a lot of these kinds of things where they, you know, identity stolen and, uh, um, and it's, you know, you think about things that cause you anxiety and depression. I mean, we had somebody yesterday that was, you know, we had two people yesterday that were suicidal, um, you know, because it, it feels so hopeless. Right. So, but you've got somebody who's giving you hope, who's, uh, can do some legwork for you if you need it. Right. And, and deal with these life context issues, the financial decisions, or <laughs> the right thing to do is not rocket science, you know, 
we've got to find you some money to get out of this bind. We've got to do these things. And, um, but you've, it's hard work for people. Like, you know, we found a woman, a benefit that subsidized 450 of her $600 a month daycare bill. So she didn't need to stay up all night with her kids. Um, before she went to her call center job in the morning, hoping they would sleep during the day because she couldn't afford daycare, right? Mm. I mean, how productive is she as an employee? How healthy is she if she's not sleeping, right? I mean, yeah. to think about these kinds of things. So anyway, human is a piece of it. The And then we've got these point solutions I talked about. We've got real solutions, real treatments of, to use the healthcare analogy again for their problems, right? Sometimes people need a quick hundred dollars in advance of their next paycheck. And we can do that for free. We can uh, provide, you know, emergency loans because we're tied to the paycheck. We can offer solutions. People can't get elsewhere. So we've got partners that provide a no credit check loan and credit card interest rates. For example, um, we've got partners that for people do have better credit. We see people refinancing their credit card debt from the mid twenties to 14 percent interest right because it's just you underwrite that product differently and we've got you know a spending and savings account that are easy to use particularly the savings account because in a couple clicks because we have the data from the employer we can and we know how much money may kind of the access the friction out of getting to these products is very low um and particularly for something that's purely good like savings people could just self-serve and and then the app kind of ties it all together, right? It does a lot of the data collection. So people can link their credit report with Equifax. They can link their bank accounts if they have them or set up a bank account. Um, and then we can monitor against goals, right? Our, you know, your savings goals, your credit score improvement goals, your debt reduction goals, track how you're doing. And, and, um, and we can also just kind of, you know, we talked about, you've talked about, uh, the notion of kind of the self-driving wallet. And, you know, if, if if once we have that data, we see your bank account, we see your credit report every month and say, hey, your credit score's gone up 100 points, you can refinance your car loan, right? Banks don't do that, right? right. But we do. And so, right. the, you know, we're, it creates this, in, you know, because incentives are aligned, we're, you know, putting $1,200 a month on average in the, people's a month a year on average into people's pockets right of the people we engage we're seeing 36 percent reduction in pot the population with subprime credit scores mm. um you know we're seeing we took one employer um and it wasn't a focus campaign it was just dealing with people who came in we took their um people who weren't contributing to the 401k population from 25 percent to five percent and there was no change wow. in the control group, right? There was no other reason why that would change. Um, and so we, you know, we're getting these results, but these these real solutions, these products get people in the door, right? In healthcare, we would kill for people to say, hey, I'm sick and raise a hand. And part of the genius was, of Accolade was, you know, when you're sick, you turn the your insurance card over and you ask, is this going to be covered? You know, how do I get a doctor? All those kinds of things. And in Brightside's case, people are, you know, we're getting 30 to 50% engagement in a population. Um, wow, because, that's that's enormous. Yeah, it's 10x <laughs> what financial wellness companies have gotten. Um, but it's because, you know, you know, 30 to 50% of it's word of mouth. Once people understand that we're a great place to go in an emergency, like this urgent care element of what we do, you know, sometimes they just hear we have no credit check loans, but a huge percentage, you know, unlike 
if we were a lender, we'd just give them a loan. Right. right? Because we're not, you know, 35% don't get a loan. They we find a government benefit. We just found a benefit that paid fifty six hundred dollars in back rent for a woman because she wow. had a COVID-related issue with her employment. These benefits are out there and not I mean you're focused on it now in your current cohort, right? And so yep. you know, the, there's some interesting partners for us in that group too. So do you target particular um, sectors when we're thinking about employers? Are there certain sectors that make more sense for the solution or is it everybody? It's it's everybody. Poor financial health is not limited to one income band, as, as you know. Um, but we like to think our sweet spot in terms of driving this ROI, right? I mean, it, it, there is ROI, but there's not as many people making a quarter million dollars a year in salary that are in poor financial health as there are people making mm-hmm. 25000 a year in poor financial health. And so it's just these populations of frontline workers. So our customers are everything from hospital systems where they have real issues with retaining and attendance of nurses, right? And and their teams, and um, but those are frontline workers, uh, insurance companies with claims people, and all the, you know, uh, huge populations of people making under a hundred thousand dollars a year. Uh, telecom companies, manufacturing, distribution, e-commerce. Um, it, there's frontline workforces in most businesses. Some are bigger than others, right? Our, our you know, we've got um, competitors whose sweet spot is different. They're focused on other Silicon Valley companies, for example, that's probably not our sweet spot. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So I'm glad you raised the self-driving wallet because lately I've been actually a little skeptical. Uh, And in part uh, because of companies like yours, um, Mm -hmm. listen, um, I think there's a lot that technology can do to create efficiencies, to remove friction, to enable people to focus their time and energy on stuff that only they can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as you've shared on this on this conversation, there's so much context that no technology is really, maybe in a hundred years, AI will figure it out, right? But it, it's very hard to use technology to appreciate the context and really also the emotion. Money is highly emotional. Um, and as you said, right, that when the stress gets going also, um, it can cloud one's judgment, one's thinking, Absolutely. one's ability to. So I'm curious how you think about this. You obviously employ humans mm-hmm. um, and you have a technology uh, platform. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where is that tech touch line, if you will? And and who are these people that you hire? Like what kind of skills do they have? What does it require to be a human in this kind of work? Yeah. Um, so, so what it requires is that people have uh, great compassion and empathy, and great relationship skills, and good problem solving skills. Right? There's, there's not, there's analogies to social work and other mm-hmm. things like that in here. Um, you know, a quarter right now of our um, financial assistants have some. You know, our certified financial planners or some of those mm. things because. People do come to us with that full range of problems, right? We're there to support the entire employee um, population. Um, but even there, we want to have you know certified financial planners that understand the behavioral science behind this, right? It's not always um, arithmetic. 
right? It's like, well, just pay off the highest credit credit card debt first, or you know, and do this, not that. Um, no, I think part of the problem with the financial wellness industry is a, it's been very focused on education. Mm-hmm. There's a great study of 201 other uh, studies on financial wellness that said, or on financial education that said, look, yeah. it has a 0.1 percent impact on outcomes when it's delivered in kind of the one size fits all mentality. And we saw, you know, we have we see people that are about to be evicted because they heard the message, put as much as you can in your 401k and they're putting 16% of their paycheck in the 401k, but they can't afford their rent. Right. And so you've got to understand that. I think the technology, we think about it in two ways, right? One is, um, you know, kind of helping both ends of this. It can do a lot of that monitoring, right? Right. That example I gave you, Mm-hmm. It still then says, hey, you should talk to your financial assistant about that car loan you need, right? Because the right answer for you is still could be different, right? Depending on where you are in that moment. And things change all the time, right? 60% of the country has a financial shock every year. And so, um, you know, we, I, and then the other thing is a huge amount of this technology is behind the financial assistant. So they have access to the rules engines that, you know, do the right kinds of assessments up front. This is not a, you know, I'm another person who, and, and I learned exactly, people don't have time for a 30 minute assessment of their finances, right? Particularly when they're about to be evicted or they're, yeah. you know, staying up all night with their kids or whatever it is. But, but you can assess really quickly on, you know, life context, emotions, barriers, what do I need to do next and get them to that. And then that earns you the right to do more assessing, you know, the next thing on average, we work with three different cases with the employees we serve, right? Mm. So it's, you know, they may start with their emergency, but then we're working on improving their credit score. We're working on improving their, you know, emergency savings. We tie these things together, right? So another place that technology comes in handy is um, because it's part of our onboarding to the financial products and solutions on our platform, uh, you know, on the way to loan, we say, Hey, uh, Lauren, and you agreed you're going to save 20 bucks out of each paycheck. And it defaults the, the amount they agreed. And they just click, yeah, I want to save that out of each paycheck. And then they go on there. You know, they we take that teachable moment of I needed a no credit check loan and turn it into um, ongoing, set it and forget it kind of savings. So the technology behind the humans, the technology to make, take friction out of doing the right thing like that, and the technology to monitor for both the, the employee and the financial assistant, I think is just, we've got tons of opportunities to apply technology here that we're just sort of scratching the surface now. Yeah, but but you couldn't imagine doing this business with no humans. No uh, human touch. No, no, no I, I, uh, people's problems are too complex. They have their own life context. They have different goals, dreams, aspirations, beliefs about money. You know, you pointed out emotions is, huge right how that you know mindset mm-hmm. um, you know most of the training of the financial assistance is you know in our behavioral science what we call our earn model which is you know how we build that relationship and how we influence them to do the right thing uh, for these families we're serving. Mm. so that brings that brings me to a slightly different issue and this is true both in financial services and in healthcare. i think uh is the problem one of poor access or poor experience, right? Or poor navigation? It's all too complicated. Or is it about behavior? 
Is it about making good choices? And, you know, so in the financial services world, this will show up sometimes as, oh, if only people manage their money better, they wouldn't overdraft, right? Let's offer some financial education. Um, you've, you've talked about why education may not be sufficient. You've talked mm-hmm. a lot about issues of access and experience, but you have also talked about behavior. What problem do you think you're solving for people? Is this a, um, is this you know, a I, systemic problem or is this a behavior problem? I, I think that's part of why it's personalized because each person comes in with different levels of financial literacy. I'm not saying you don't have education. What that study actually said does work is bite-sized yeah. education at the point of need, right? Right. Um, and so those humans can deliver that by assessing their financial literacy on whatever that topic is they need to know to make that decision um, and can deal with their emotions. Um, and can, you know, give them hope, which is key to behavior change. I mean, there's a lot of science around, you know, I've got to have agency. I got to start believing in myself and I've got to see a path, right? And those things are required to get you to where you're going. But I'd say the biggest thing is, um, you know, this notion of making the right thing easy to do. Billions of dollars are spent probably every day in this country, making it easy for people to do the wrong thing with their money. Right. That there's a lot of people who don't have their interests are not aligned with um, the financial health of the, of the person. And, um, you know, the, the biggest way to get behavior change is to make something easier. to do. That's it. You know, and 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 sometimes it, you make it easier by explaining why it's good with education. Sometimes you make it easier by calming the person down and getting them to believe in themselves so they can make a good decision. Sometimes you make it easier by using the technology so I can open a savings account in just a couple of clicks. And um, and I'm at some place I trust, right? I've got somebody I trust saying, yeah, this is a good idea for you to start saving. Yeah. So uh, I think that's another reason why you've got humans is because that, you know, that dimension is different by person. So given the fact that in many cases, the incentives for companies, mm-hmm. healthcare providers, insurers, financial services companies, um, is uh, because their incentives are not always aligned with making it easy for their customer to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Is there a role here for um, government? What role does government play, if at all, in changing the incentive structures? Um, and I'm less thinking about pure regulation as, as I am about creating the rules of the game. Yeah. I, there's, a, there's a couple of places I'd love government to um, make this easier. You know, I'm, I'm a capitalist, so I, I understand yeah. banks wanting to make money and retailers wanting to make money and all of this stuff, right? So... So this isn't their fault. Um, but I, one of the biggest things I, I'd like to see is I'd like to make it clear. It's it's a little vague right now that this is this should be a covered expense for a health plan, you know, for the health and well-being of your employees, right? If this is 30% of all healthcare costs, it's the biggest driver of stress, it improves outcome, it's, you know, it's... Um, uh, it's the biggest determinant of life expectancy, then, you know, why, why can't an employer just say, yeah, this is part of my health plan expense. I can pay a bright side like I would a doctor or a hospital. And, it, you know, just it's part of this tax deductible expense because I, I think that would take some friction out for employers. Mm. Um, 
I, I think local governments, I guess, mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's no doubt a little more education at an earlier age on, <laughs> you know, I, the, the studies that say education doesn't work are focused on adults. Exactly. Employers, right. Exactly. And, uh, I, I think there's something to us, us as a country being better at teaching children, you know, about money. Yeah. It's, just, it's so fundamental. The reason it drives stress is because it's your, it's safety and security. It's your, it's the roof over your head. It's your food. Right. And um, you know, it's, it's your relationships and all these things that are mm-hmm. so important to people. It's your tribe that you want to be in, you know? And so being good at managing it would be great. You know, I, um, I think I learned kind of a hard way as a kid, if I think about it, you know, my, mm parents took out a second loan on their car to take their honeymoon. I think they were in debt the rest of their life. You know, maybe until my youngest sister got out of college and they got, got things paid off. But uh, my dad pushed his papers across the table and said, here, you figure out how to go to college. Mm. And, you know, I said, you got to buy me food anyway. was my argument. So (laughs) they paid for my meal plan and I had to figure out everything else. But, um, you know, that probably taught me like, Hey, this is probably not, you know, and we didn't go without a lot of stuff. We were clearly a middle-class family, Mm -hmm. but you know, it's just part of how you learn, right? At least my dad was making his finances transparent to me when I was in high school. Right. Yeah. Um, Which was, yeah. Yeah. So we're in an interesting moment as a nation right now (laughs) on many fronts. Um, But in, in, in particular, now I'm thinking about the role of the corporation and the expectations, particularly as it relates to their employees, mm-hmm. what's expected of companies and the sort of re- rewrite of the social contract. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, both of the companies that you started, um, Accolade and now Brightside, have been focused on the employer channel. And for Accolade, it makes total sense, right? Because for a big portion of the uh, population, um, they're getting their health insurance through their employer. Mm-hmm. Um, you could say for Brightside, well, people are getting their paycheck through their employer, uh, and that's a good place to start. Um, say more about the pros and cons of delivering through an employer. You know, what do you think their role and responsibility is here? And um, you know, you said it at the beginning. There's real ROI here. Um, you know, how vital is that? Ultimately, um, you know, how much of the business model, making these business models work, you know, is 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 essentially because of the employer channel and finding a third party, if you will. Right. To help help pay the cost. Yeah, I I think um, a couple of things. You know, one is um, this our business is all about the ROI. It really is about this is great for your shareholders. Like we're going to lower your health care costs. We're going to lower the cost of turnover. We're going to, you know, get people more hours work, less absenteeism, you know, more ready for retirement, the whole camp, right? There's a, there's an array of things and it's going to drive diversity and equity inclusion because your financial benefits today are not used. As you know, blacks and women don't use retirement completely. They certainly don't use financial planning services um, the way white males do. And so, um, I think there's a lot of momentum. I think the shift you're you're talking about employers we see coming, you know, 2020 was a 
was a distraction for HR teams, right? They were just trying to figure out how to keep their people safe and, and productive from home. Um, but coming out of that, you can't afford to have a bad employer brand anymore. It affects whether or not people shop in your store or buy from you or invest in you, right? And, and I, I don't think CEOs want to be embarrassed by the fact they've got a bunch of people sleeping in their cars. That's not, mm. um, that's not the brand they want to have for their organization. And so I, I do think the days of it's okay to have a crappy employer brand are coming to an end. It's not universal yet. Um, but, you know, we were chatting right before we started. I said, you know, I'm pretty happy with the talent we're getting and retaining because I think we've got a, we're, we're a decent employer and we've got a great mission and we've got a fun culture and, you know, and we care about people showing up as their best selves every day, right? You can't do that, right? Yeah. So, so there's a whole nother level of ROI there. That's important, but you know we're driving forty-one percent reductions in turnover. Wow! Like wow, that more than pays for this, and um, you know, in in a a world where, and I just think people are going to have to care about that more and more, are caring about it more and more. Yeah. Well, um, I find that true innovators, and and you are one, um, find inspiration from diverse places. And given the fact that I spend a lot of time thinking about how to break down silos, I always like to ask this question at the end of each episode. Who are some of the leaders, regardless of industry, that you're inspired by and why? Uh, you know, I, um, it's a pretty diverse mix. I like to, I like to listen to podcasts. I like to read. And, um, you know, certainly... Um, Steve Jobs was an interesting inspiration in terms of how he thought about making things easy, right? It just, he really had great empathy to the user and loved great design and wanted something that a product people will love, right? I, I love the fact that both Accolade and Brightside were well loved by the people who use the, use the product, you know, and, 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 you know, I, um, you know, I had some very influential employers early in my time at Accolade said, look, you know, the thing that's wrong with benefits is nobody designs them with that end user in mind. Like, right. And they complain about why they don't get used. Well, they're not what people want. You know, it's like right. people living paycheck to paycheck don't want financial wellness. You know, they don't want a financial plan or, or they don't want to be, they don't want to feel shamed, right? Correct. The notion of you're doing it wrong. You didn't have a budget for your holiday gifts. Nonsense. And maybe that person was worth buying the expensive gift, but right, let's figure out what you want, what your goals are. And, um, and if you make a mistake, let's have no shame about it. You know, mm-hmm. um, uh, I like people that bring people together. I am really distressed by the political divisions in this world. I have, I know great people in Philadelphia and great people in Arizona and they might vote differently and great people in, Oklahoma where my sisters live, you know, so Bill Frist was on my board at Accolade. He's just such a role model of kind of bringing people together. Right. I mean, when I read his uh, autobiography and his uh, first two, you know, as a Republican Senator, his first two endorsements and the blurbs on the back of the book were from Ted Kennedy and Bono. It's like, okay, (laughs) you know, that that wouldn't happen today. Right. That wouldn't happen today. Right. It's like, but you know, it's just like, who cares about serving others and um, solving the problems of 
the society, right? And I love that, you know, I love it when that's in people who at least came out of that political sphere. I love, I would love to see more of that. Um, and then just people who, who help me understand um, empathy and uh, hope, like, uh, you know, certainly like a Brene Brown or somebody like that, right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot in the science there that, um, uh, is important, right? We don't script our financial systems. We have, you know, workflows and things that help guide them on the financial side, but we want them to just be their authentic self, be vulnerable, right? These people are being vulnerable by saying mm-hmm. they're at financial help and we got to be just as vulnerable with them. And so, um, you know, somebody like that uh, inspires me a lot. Mm. Tom, I really enjoyed this conversation. Thanks so much for joining me on Emerge Everywhere. Thanks, Jen. It was a pleasure. This has been Emerge Everywhere, a Financial Health Network production. If you like the show, please help spread the financial health message by leaving a review. And if you have ideas for future guests or thoughts on the show, please click on the link in the show notes to connect with us. See you next time.